welcome to the Horrible Things Podcast. This is a true crime and disaster podcast where we talk about all things horrible, whether it be a fire, whether it be a murder, just things of that general line, that vein of just makes you want to cry, you know? <laughs> just things that are they're horrible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my name is Emma Sexton. I am the host of this podcast, and today I'm joined by... Andrew Buker. Hello, Andrew. You haven't been on in... It's been a hot second. It has been a while. What was the last episode you were on? I have no clue. I don't even. I, I don't remember either. The, the lady who got shot and kept driving. And <gasps> oh, yes. Jennifer Holiday. Okay, yes. funny you mentioned that because uh, we're actually doing an I Survived again today. Another I Survived story. So no bodies in the river. No bodies in the river. I feel like I'm letting you down every time I don't do a story where there's a body in the river because almost every episode you've been on. There's been a body in the river. Why do people keep doing that? Throwing bodies in a river? Yeah, it doesn't work know. out. I don't think... Well, we never get to know when it does work out because I'm pretty sure no murderer would be like, yo, I got away with this. The last episode I did, there was actually a body in the river and I think I mentioned you. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, Buker. <laughs> you like that association? Yeah, I love being associated with the bodies in the river. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's your thing. It's, <laughs> it's my <laughs> thing, yeah. But, um... We actually, okay, in my true crime in the media class, I actually wanted to tell this story because I found it so funny. Um, we had these two older, like, journalists come in to talk about true crime. Mm -hmm. And we asked them about podcasts. And they were like, oh, my gosh, yeah, we love podcasts. We love serial and, like, um, all these really, like, serious podcasts where they don't do any, like, comedy stuff whatsoever. And then we were like, oh, what about My Favorite Murder? Because that's like a lot. Of, that's like one of my favorite true crime podcasts. And they're known for being like, they're not journalists. Like they're not researchers, but they're comedians. So they're really like, it's great to listen to them. But we were like, oh, what do you think about My Favorite Murder? And they were like, those women are disgraces to the true crime genre and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, y'all clearly don't realize why they're so successful is because they know how to like not make everything dark and depressing like when it actually is you know like people like a little bit of comedy in their true crime that's not that's not horrible that doesn't make you a bad person if you like to lighten the mood when things are really dark and sad you know what i mean mm -hmm. like uh right now um i think this is a, especially a generational thing like people from our generation like joking through tragedy and for example right now bunch of students are joking about the coronavirus at my school and someone released an obviously fake news article that blank school teacher sent home to it was sent to the emergency room because of the coronavirus and my principal sent the funniest email i've ever seen in my life uh, addressing the situation and um I, I don't know it's like I, I think especially the the way we cope with things and the way we joke about things we, we just tend to joke about tragedy more when the older generation just kind of like that happened. Sweep it under the rug. Yeah. It's kind of like um, how John Mulaney <laughs> in John Mulaney's comedy special, he talks about how Irish people, he's like us Irish people. It's like, I'll just keep, I'll have this secret and I'll keep it right here. And then one day I'll die. Can we get the John Mulaney counter in the bottom right hand corner, please? Yes, please. Uh, I'm not sure how many there's been in the total of this podcast, like the entirety. Probably like too many to count. 1,300. Yeah. Honestly, if you haven't watched it by now, you're missing so many of my fantastic references. Just you got to watch it. 
I didn't think he was real until I until I saw him recommended to me on my Netflix. I'm like, I thought it was- he's hilarious. I don't. Okay, it's so weird because I really thought more people knew who he was just because at my college, everyone knows him. Like literally everyone. I see people watching his stuff all the time. But then I go home and I'm like, oh, yeah, John Mulaney. And people are like, what? And I'm like, is this just like a is this just a college thing or like why do people not like watch his specials they're hilarious but you know i don't think i have as much time as you do <laughs> as much well it's true since i'm an interterm i'm only at school two days a week so i've been chilling for like the m- past month just like working on the podcast and going to work and stuff like that we casting we casting out here i usually say we're um i i don't say casting I do say, do you want to be on the pod or like the pod instead of the podcast? <laughs> but yeah. other than that, I don't Those have any cool abbreviations. Really so horribly difficult to get through podcast. But you know what? I think this um, these notes that I've got here are Ooh, about 11 pages long. So I think we need to get started on the case if we're hoping to make it to this time limit. <laughs> Especially because Buker and I actually are going somewhere after the, we record this. We should probably... Um, There's a business meeting after this. Exactly. We will be discussing why Buker has not watched Kid Gorgeous yet. Is that a John Mulaney? Probably, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You see why this meeting has to be held. Anyway. <laughs> I say we get on to the horrible things here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about an I Survived case today. And the person who we're going to be talking about is Michelle Renee. Have you heard of her? I have not. Okay. Her story is pretty out of the I Survived stories. Hers is one that I'd actually heard of before. But um, it's honestly just crazy. They did a, um, I think, a 60 Minutes on it. Or maybe not 60 Minutes, but it, one of those like news specials CBS did on her. And then there's also an I Survived episode on her. So like she's been on TV before, interviewed by a lot of news outlets. But her story is honestly just like insane and terrifying to think about because, well, you'll see. <laughs> Let's get into it. I don't want to spoil anything. So the date is, well, I'm not giving an exact date, but it's November of 2000. And we're in East Vista, California, which is like a little bit more central California, I believe. So Michelle Renee is the assistant vice principal, vice principal, vice president. I'm principals in my head now that we've been talking about your principal sending out that email. But um, assistant vice president of a bank. And she's also a single mom. So the day that changed her life, everything in like while she was at work seemed completely normal. And the only thing that she noticed that was a little bit weird is she had one customer, this weird guy who came up to her, and he kind of freaked her out a little bit. He was acting strange. He gave her his business card, but other than that, nothing else, like, bizarre had happened that day. So after work, uh, Michelle picked up her daughter, Brea, from school, and Brea, I believe it's Brea, I hope it's not Bria, but I, (sighs) Bria or Brea? It could be either way. I'm going to say Brea. It's B-R-E-E-A. Brea. That would be Brea. That's Brea. I'm going to say Brea. Brea. (laughs) So Brea was only seven years old at this time. And after school, her and her mom are just kind of like sitting on the couch. And then all of a sudden, this loud crash comes from like near the front entrance. And they see that their door has been kicked down. And these three guys enter their home 
and they have guns and they have like kicked down her door basically and they enter just with guns in their faces and so bria is running toward the bedroom and michelle is going to follow her but then they grab michelle's hair and they hold her at gunpoint on the ground and she's screaming and they're telling her that they're going to hit her in front of her daughter and then they ask her do you know why we're here and the reason that they were there is because they wanted her to rob the bank that she worked at or else they'd murder her daughter in front of her. That's what they threatened. And then they would kill Michelle. So these intruders, obviously terrifying, they wore masks. They carried guns, with they, which were pointed at Michelle and Bria the entire time. Uh, the largest of the three guys goes and duct tapes Michelle's wrists and ankles. And then he grabs Bria, who, like I said, is only seven years old and duct tapes her wrists and ankles as well. And then they sit her down and they start asking her questions about the bank, telling her that they've been watching her for about two months now, like everywhere she went. And they've been watching the bank for two months also. Page flip. So they pull Michelle onto her knees and she sees that like her daughter is also been taped up and she kind of starts to panic because her daughter has a gun pointed at her head and she's like shaking because she's so terrified. And that's when they opened this giant duffel bag, which she saw was filled with bullets and dynamite. And she's like, what the hell? Because who carries around sticks of dynamite, you know? But they tell her this is dynamite and they strap it to her body. And they tell her that if they don't, she doesn't do everything right, that, quote, you will disintegrate. So basically they're saying, if you don't go in and rob this bank exactly how we tell you to do it, we're going to blow you up, essentially. So she starts after that point when she's been threatened, she starts noticing like every single detail about what's going on. She knows that they're wearing Doc Martens. She's like grabbing whatever she can get that she can hold on to that would help the police possibly like find out who they are. So these three gunmen listen to indie music. Yes, exactly. They loved Doc Martin in general. Those are expensive shoes too. So I feel like at that point you'd kind of be like, okay, these people clearly like aren't desperate they might may have done this before that's at least what i would think because doc martens are expensive or they're just willing to steal them very true <laughs> you bring up a good point but she like i said she starts grabbing onto whatever she can to be able to keep to show as evidence so after telling her what they wanted her to do in the bank which was basically go in and then when the truck came in to like put money in the vault they wanted her to take her duffel bag and bring out a bunch of money with her and then take it to a drop point they asked her to repeat the plan back to them. They said she would they would do it like she needed to do it exactly as they said, word for word, like repeat back to me what I just said this whole time, still threatening her and her daughter with guns and something else that's like even more terrifying about this because, OK, so my biggest fear is home invaders. Like, I don't know why, but that is just like the thing that to me is just absolutely terrifying. I'm always afraid of that happening, like. My house has never been broken into, but it's just like my biggest fear. And so not only has she had her house like completely just broken into and she's basically been kidnapped, but these men were saying like really sexually explicit things to her and they were like threatening to rape her. And she really thought that they were going to rape her or her daughter right like right there in the living room. So she's just terrified this entire time. And I'm like, at this point, I'm kind of like, these people clearly have like no heart to be able to say that sort of thing to a girl's mother like who's right in front of her this seven-year-old girl like 
it's one thing to rob a bank i've done cases where it's like people rob a bank but they're not horrible people they're just thieves so they're kind of like crusty you know what i mean like not not obviously not great people but there's such a difference between doing something like that in my eyes where you're like seriously damaging these human beings and like going in and stealing something would which can be totally victimless aside from obviously taking the money like the things that can be replaced like money can be replaced exactly but then you have to think about like this girl's seven years old and obviously like this is an event that's just going to change her. You know what I mean? Like she's going to remember this for the rest of her life. There's no doubt about that. It's just, yeah, terrifying. But there, she's like obviously really terrified at this point and even more terrified because the three robbers were saying this whole time that there were six more men stationed outside the house who had the code names Money One, Money Two through Six. So they'd be like, come in Money One and stuff like that. And they said there were six more people outside the house. Uh, they eventually let Bria sleep on the couch with Michelle and Michelle just remembers sitting there like crying the entire time. Uh, Michelle said she needs to go to the bathroom and one of the the ringleader actually of the group took her to the restroom and when she saw his eyes because she turned the bathroom light on that was like the first time she'd seen him in the light even though he was wearing a mask. She recognized the eyes of the weird guy who'd been in the bank earlier who gave her his business card. Because she said that he had like these gigantic eyes that had like red rims on the outside. And so she like easily recognized him from just from that, seeing his eyes. And she remembered that she had put his business card in like the top right spot of her desk at, at the bank. And she immediately started like he was in the bathroom with her and she started counting the tiles on her bathroom wall to see how tall this guy was so that she could give an accurate description to the police if she ended up living through it. But at 11.30 p.m., her roommate returned from a party and the robbers grabbed her and brought her to her room. She was totally, like, completely drunk and she was just swearing at these guys. And so that, like, heightened their aggression a lot. And so they put a gun in her nose and said that they'd blow her head off if she didn't calm down. Then, obviously, they tied her up as with michelle and bria and at this point they'd been hostages for six hours like sitting there and around 4 30 a.m uh bria asked her mom if she could go lay in her bed and so the ringleader was like sure and they sat at the end of the bed like they bria and michelle were able to move into michelle's room and this gunman just like sat at the end of the bed pointing the gun at them while they were resting there and she thought it was like the last time she would get to hold her kid you know, so it's like obviously tragic already because she's in her mind. She's thinking like, I'm not going to live through this. I'm not going to be OK. So like I need to treasure every last minute with my kid, especially because she thought they were going to kill her kid, too. So it's like really obviously very not great. But at 6.30 a.m., basically, the guy who was in charge was like, okay, it's time to get up, time to go to work, time to enact this plan. And so, basically, he starts by threatening to kill everyone. And then he says that it was time to put the dynamite back onto her body because they'd taken it off, like, after the initial show that they were going to put it on her. So, she, they duct taped it to, like, to the, her back, kind of, like, near her ribs. She said it was super painful when because they duct taped it so tightly and then they also duct taped dynamite to um bria 
and she was like crying in pain because they did it so tightly and then um the guy who's in charge took her arm and said you have 10 minutes to talk to your kid for the last time just in case you mess this up basically so she goes into another room and michelle's just like telling her daughter how much she loved her and then the guy says okay time to put her in the closet so they grab the seven-year-old girl and they put her in the closet of Michelle's bedroom with dynamite strapped to her back. And so Michelle tells her daughter, like, here's a piece of paper and a pen and write, you can write me a letter, like write me a letter while I'm gone because she didn't want her daughter to just have to like sit there in the closet, you know? So when she obviously when her daughter saw her like walking away and that she was gonna have to leave she starts like crying and screaming and michelle said that she just totally like checked out at that minute because she knew that she like had to get everything done perfectly because she needed to get back to her kid and so she's taken at gunpoint to the bank and then when she walks into the bank she goes to her desk where she picks up the phone because like that's the first thing she would usually do is like check her voicemail but then she remembered that they had told her not to pick up the phone at all and that they would kill her if she did and so she starts freaking out because she's like am I gonna blow up any second now like she hung it up immediately obviously but she like was totally panicked this entire time but trying to act super calm because obviously she thought that she was going to get blown up if she did anything wrong or like let on to anyone what was happening you know so in the morning, as scheduled, the Brinks truck, so it's like the armored van kind of, drops off the money at the bank that needs to go into the vault. So Michelle brings her briefcase down into the vault. She has to go with another employee because that was policy. You couldn't just go one person down to the vault that held all the money. So she goes down to the vault with this employee and she basically tells her, hey, I have explosives strapped to me that could go off at any minute they're going to kill my kid. Like, here's everything that happened. And I need you to steal this money with me. And so the employee starts to freaking panic as you, you know, yeah. you would expect. And so she tells the employee, listen, you just got to help me steal this money. She's literally comforting this employee. She's like, you're going to have to help me steal this money. And then you can't call the police, call corporate security because my kid could die at any second. So this employee is like, okay, she helps her put the, all this money in the briefcase. She didn't know how much she was supposed to grab. So she just filled up as much as she could and she ended up getting about three, they believe it's about 340 to $360,000 just from piling all this stuff in her bag. And then she walks with this employee out of the vault. That's the word I'm thinking of. Yeah, she walks with this employee out of the vault. The robbers had actually told her there was this very specific way they wanted her to rob the bank. They wanted her to do like in her bag. They wanted it 20s, then 50s and 10s, like a certain order. And they told her that if there were any marked bills or anything like that, they would come back and kill her kid. So they're basically just like, she was like, there's no way I'm going to do anything to put my kid in jeopardy. So I'm just going to rob this bank. Like she did everything as they asked her to. She comes out of the bank. She tells everyone she has an appointment. And then she drives to this drop off point where she gives the robbers the money. And then they tell her from there you can go ahead and drive home. So she lives only like two miles away from the bank and her roommate's car was gone when she got home. Mm -hmm. She didn't know like if anyone was still alive. She still had the explosives strapped onto her. So they had barricaded the front door with like chairs and furniture. 
So as she's like fighting her way to get into her house, she hears her daughter like crying out to her basically. And she's like has this giant moment of relief because she realizes her kid is okay. She runs into the room and her daughter is like still in the closet, but they'd taken the dynamite off of the daughter and the roommate and let them be together. So they had like they started untaping each other and then Michelle starts freaking out and telling them to leave because she still had the dynamite on her. But then her roommate's like, dude, when they were taking the dynamite off us, they literally just like ripped it off like it was not safe like or careful at all because she believed. Okay, so like the dynamite, they had these detonators that they like showed them when they showed them the dynamite. So they she was like panicking, but then she was like, they just like ripped it off of us like it was not like a slick plan you know what I mean so just let me try to take it off you and she's like okay and then the roommate like cuts the tape off of her cuts the dynamite off her they throw it into this like wall area outside of the house and then they all three of them bolt to a neighbor's house and they've like obviously they're panicked because they don't know if these people are going to come back they don't know any you know any of that All they know is that they head to this neighbor's house and they're like banging at the door saying we've been held hostage like let us in. Eventually they let them in and they call the police and the police and the FBI actually eventually come to question them and Michelle was able to remember everything in like a vivid detail because she'd been really paying attention. So they were like obviously very happy about that but she's like hey go to my desk get the business card that this guy gave me because I know for a fact that it was him. And she's like, I know for a fact that one of the people involved was named Christopher Butler because that's the guy who gave me his business card. It said Christopher Butler on it. So there she's like panicking, you know, like at first, actually, it's kind of crazy because when they start investigating this whole case, they find out that Michelle had like a very what they called quote colorful past So she had like a history with drugs and she also Mm -hmm. had been a stripper before she was a banker. So immediately they start to think like, oh, well, she what did she rob the bank? Like, was she in money troubles and like all this stuff? And she's like, no, yeah, I was a stripper. Like, I don't deny that I worked at the bank and then did stripping at night. But like, I put that behind me and like I that was in my past, like. And she even told people that, like, no one at the bank knew about that because she just did it so that she could, like, she liked doing it and she did it so that she could make enough money to support her and her kid. So she didn't really have a good, like, when they were looking further into her, they found that she didn't have, like, a high school diploma or anything and that she'd actually lied on her application for the bank because she wanted to get a good job, but she hadn't, like, had a degree in finance or anything like that that they said. But Michelle had actually been uh, running away from an abusive home and she had been on her own since she was 15 years old. And she had become a bank manager at like 13 years later, 13 years after she ran away because she like wanted to find some way to support herself and her kid, obviously. So she had had to file bank for bankruptcy twice in the past. So she wasn't very good at managing her own money. But it's like, despite all these things, the police are like, okay so she must have done it which is kind of like all right just because you're not good at managing your money or like you lie on a resume doesn't mean that you held your own child at gunpoint so that you could get money from the bank like yeah what are your thoughts on the actual crime 
I feel like when you hear like bank robbing stories, like banks don't really keep like that much money on them. I feel like, is it worth it? Like, is it worth it for those guys to like all that for like, I understand like $300,000 isn't like no money, but I feel like, I don't know. There's a lot more illegal activities that you can do that you probably get more gain from it for these guys. Yeah, and especially like giving someone your business card, like Yeah. See, like, like these guys had a system. These guys had everything planned out, but yet they still did something incredibly stupid. Like and that. the fact that the business card has his actual name on it. Yeah. It's like okay, y'all like went through the trouble of putting dynamite sticks on people. But then you're like, let me just, my name, <laughs> here you go. Enjoy this information. And then think she's not going to remember it or like notice that it's the same person speaking to her that she talked to earlier in the day. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me because I'm like, okay, you have like your master plan here, but it's just not, it's the little things that get you. I think one thing that every single Horrible Things episode has in common is that one person has to be an idiot. Like, one person has to do something really, really dumb to, like, get it um, so they can't get away. Yeah, like in the robbery cases. Yeah, or even, like, a lot of the the murderer ones. They always do something, like, lapse of judgment and, like, let themselves get caught. Yeah, part of me wonders if it's, like, a guilty subconscious that's, like, you almost want to get yeah. caught. Like that's what I was thinking. Like, does he? Did he want to be caught by leaving the business card? And does he want to give her away so she's not on the 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 hook for this thing? Like that. But then I again, like, I don't know if people that kidnap a seven year old have a conscience that would really care about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel that anyone who commits a crime against a child just really doesn't have a heart because mm-hmm. it's like the most innocent among us. You know, I mean, slightly evil in the way that kids are. They'll like spit on you. But they don't stuff. mean it, you know? Yeah, they don't mean it. <laughs> well, they mean it, but they don't know that like how bad the things that they're doing are. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like you just see any adult that takes advantage of a kid. It's like mm. you're just a trash person. That's like the bottom of like the list, like the tier list of humans is like people who like disrespect kids. Yeah, it's like the um, how in prison. Like, if you are a murderer, you probably won't get shanked, which is arguably, like, the worst crime. But if you're a pedophile, like, you'll probably get killed in prison because they just don't. Like, every yeah. every person, even, even, even pe- murderers. Even people in prison have hearts. And they, they're like, you know, if you give someone, like, a lifelong trauma, I think that's yeah, a that's lot true. worse. Well, that's why I get so mad when people that, like, rapists get, like a year in prison i'm mm-hmm. like really because the person that you assaulted is gonna have to live with the trauma of what you did for the rest of their lives and like it's gonna haunt them probably until they die and that's worth a year in prison or like i look at the brock turner case i'm like three months really because that just doesn't it's not adding up <laughs> you know what i mean whereas i think that rape i think that honestly is a huge problem in our country is like rape should be treated and punished much more harshly than it is because it's just one of the worst things you can do to a person. Yeah. It's like, because it's something that people really just don't want to talk about. I think it's a lot easier for us all to be like, you know, we'll worry about that tomorrow. Because we don't want to talk about something as awful as, as rape. And I think that's one of the, the main reasons why 
as a country and just as a the whole planet, we're not really doing that as much as we should about it. Yeah. I watched this um, series in my true crime class called Unbelievable. It's on Netflix. Uh, I would only recommend it if you're okay with watching things that are very graphic because it is extremely graphic. But it's basically this case where this girl, like she was raped uh, by this intruder in her house and she was only 18 years old. And basically the police forced her to take back her um, allegation. She like reported it to the police. She did a rape kit and everything. And they basically like bullied her into saying it hadn't happened. And then after that, the guy ended up raping like seven more people in a different state. But they had basically been like, you know, we think you're lying. We think you're lying. And they made her retell the day after they made her retell the story of what had happened to her like five times. And eventually she was like, you know what? I'm just going to retract my statement and say it didn't happen because I just can't like go through the pain of having to relive this over and over and then they actually charged her with making a false witness after she took back what she said that said that it was all fake. She lost her housing. She lost her job. She lost her access to therapy uh, with the people she was going to. And the most it's just horrible because she actually was raped. Like when they eventually caught the guy who is a serial rapist, they caught him and they found pictures of her being assaulted on his computer. And she was. And they had just, like, the police in her town were these two, like, guy detectives. Not that every, like, male detective is going to be bad on a rape case, but these guys were, like, particularly terrible. And then on the case where he actually got caught, it was two female detectives who, like, were super caring for the victims. And these two guys just treated her like garbage. Did they and take it was back the so, charges? They, t- they um, exonerated her, yeah, for the false witness charge but then it was like she had already lost like so much you know what i mean yeah all her friends like everyone and it's even more horrible when you think about the fact that she had to go through that as well as the trauma of actually having been raped like and she obviously she sued which was like yeah (laughs) you should definitely 100 percent sue and she got like i think one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something like that but is that worth your reputation and all going through all of that? No, it's just people. Yeah, I just don't think that people take. I guess it's like what you're saying. People want to like not think about it as being as horrible as it truly is. But then, if you meet someone who's actually like gone through that type of assault, it's like, how could you not get life in prison for that? For like taking away someone's like you've taken away someone's safety. Like, no one is ever going to feel safe after that because you just violated someone in the most, like, disgusting way. Ugh, it just makes me mad. Like, I honestly, I do think that rape should be, in most cases, a life in prison charge because it's just so, like, if you are a good person, you're not going to rape someone. So, like, if you do, goodbye. Have fun in prison. Like, you're not really going to be missed after that. So, (sighs) but anyway, that's my rant on it take sexual assault seriously (laughs) people (sighs) that show made me so mad have you seen it no i've not it's on netflix it's super it is so good you you really should watch it it's like it's like mind hunter but i think creepier (laughs) you have no idea how many things are not on my list but are on the people says i as people say i have to watch it list i have like a hundred things i'm like i'm running out of time dude i I just recently watched, um, shoot, what's it called? 
Oh, I just watched 1917, which everyone was telling me I had to watch. It was so good. I was really happy I watched it. I never go to the movie theater anymore. So I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. I forgot about going to the movies. I just rent everything on Amazon Prime. As a film student, I um, I haven't seen as much movies as I should have recently. You know, I don't have any reason to be snobby right now. It's sad. but <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, there's the Oscar nominees this year are really good, I think. so. It was a good year for movies. Yeah, it was. I'm trying to make my way through the Oscar nominees, but it's just, there's so many. And I have so little time. So excited to see... Um, what studio paid the Oscars the most this year? <laughs> True. Dude, I I just I can't watch the entire Oscars anymore. It's two and a half hours long. Like sorry, I'm not gonna sit through two and a half hours of watching like clips from movies I haven't seen and don't care about. At least you're not our friends who have to work that entire thing. That would be more fun. That would be more fun, but I feel like it's like a high stress thing because you're working on that job for like the entire duration of the Oscars and so many people are watching the Oscars. True. Do you think, I don't, how many people watch? Isn't it getting like lower and lower every year? Yeah, people are having less patience for the Oscars. Because <laughs> it keeps getting longer. <laughs> it's getting longer and, and I think at the end of the day, people realize how much it doesn't matter. Like, I like this movie because I like this movie, not because the rich people in the chairs said it was good. True. I only watch the Oscars clips on YouTube now. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of bad. But anyway, let's get back to what we were talking about. <laughs> Fast forward. Nine days later. Okay. They had found the card that said Christopher Butler on it, and they find that this guy named Christopher Butler had already had a couple different robberies as priors. So they start looking for him, like, immediately. And then all of a sudden, the police, like, arrest him. He's at this intersection in, like, a totally different town. He's in the car with his girlfriend. Uh, and the police actually suspected his girlfriend was also involved. But the investigators say that literally when Butler and his girlfriend, Lisa Ramirez, got stopped, they were, like, completely surprised because they had no idea anyone would ever be looking for them because they thought they'd done such a bang-up job in this robbery. And they were actually still driving around with masks, gloves, Michelle's credit cards, and, like, packets of money, the wrappers that hold them Mm -hmm. together. They had that all in their trunk. I think that's the uh, putting the body in the river of robberies. Yes. (laughs) And then they continue to, they go to the house where Butler and Ramirez were staying, and inside they found, like, these wood sticks that looked like sticks of dynamite. And they found red paint and wires and rolls of duct tape that had been used. So it turned out the dynamite sticks weren't real dynamite. They had just been threatening them and the detonators and everything were completely fake. They were just using it to threaten them. And then about 50 miles away, the police actually picked up this man named Christopher Huggins, who they also believed was part of the robbery, which like so sad that a man with the name Christopher Huggins gets into a life of crime. I was going to say, so someone that's with that sweet of a name, how can they be like such an <laughs> awful person? Exactly. Come on. You didn't live up to your namesake. I, I think when I think Christopher Huggins, I think like what a kid names is teddy bear. Yeah. You know? True. Because Christopher Robin and then like hug. That's what <laughs> gets in my head. <laughs> but... I just- <laughs> <laughs> I was just way overthinking that. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Honestly, just I, anytime I can think of the movie Christopher Robin, I will. It's great. But anyway, they found um, $93,000 in his safe 
but again they had stolen like 340 to 360,000 so 93 wasn't too much but they found 93,000 um it turned out pretty much everyone who had been involved in the there had been Christopher Huggins and then Robert Ortiz was the other guy involved and they found out that all these people had been involved in gangs before and it's obviously like they Michelle was terrified when she found this out because these people like knew where she lived um and then they Robert Ortiz was the last person they found. He actually was on America's Most Wanted. And then after that, they found him in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And everyone was put under arrest. Christopher Butler never gave up a word about what happened. Uh, he was clearly like the leader of the group. And Christopher Huggins and Robert Ortiz started giving a confession like as soon as they got there. And then Lisa Ramirez also was giving a, a confession she said she'd been there and she said that she was the one who had come up with the idea for the actual heist which is like okay that's terrifying but she like completely took credit for the idea she said that she was the person who was like in the bank earlier and that she was talking about how like michelle had been like super upset and all this stuff like clearly giving details she wouldn't have known unless she was involved but they told me eventually they started um questioning michelle also because they told uh ramirez so lisa ramirez the woman who'd been involved she told them that michelle had been in on it and so they made michelle reenact the entire thing with props and they even strapped dynamite to her kid's back like fake dynamite to make her recreate everything and i'm like that is such that's so horrible but they made her, like, reenact everything. She was super upset, of course. But they're basically telling her, like, we think you might have been involved. But eventually they believe, started to believe that she was actually innocent because they said she was, quote, reacting how a witness or how a victim would react to a crime. Which is, like, okay. But anyway, <laughs> they um, eventually everyone went on trial. The first two people to go on trial were Lisa Ramirez and Christopher Butler. Um, they ended up saying that Lisa Ramirez's confession could not be used in court. So the defense attorney who thought there was like no hope ended up getting Lisa Ramirez off on her charges. So she was like, she's still a free person. Christopher to this day. Yeah. Which is like, okay, I really think you were involved, ma'am, but that's okay. She said she was like the mastermind, right? Yeah. Christopher Butler he was the guy who was actually there and was most likely the ringleader. Um, he actually kind of swayed the jury because they... So during the trial, they brought up all this stuff about Michelle's past and about how she didn't act like a normal victim would react, would act and how she was being all defensive and stuff. And they brought up all this stuff to make her look bad. And then eventually Christopher Butler is like, Michelle and I are having an affair and she helped me with this whole thing in the middle of court. And she's like, What? And basically they made like a lot of the jury members believe that they'd actually been romantically involved and that Michelle was actually in on the whole thing. But Christopher Butler still got charged and did not get to go home. Obviously, he's serving two life terms and 64 years for kidnapping and armed robberies, not just including Michelle's, but some other ones. And then uh, the other time that Michelle testified, because the first time she testified didn't go very well, she was really like nervous on the stand and kind of implicated herself even though she the prosecutors believe she wasn't involved at all um and she'd been through like this horrible tragedy but when robert ortiz and christopher huggins were being uh tried she like 
was like, I got it. I'm getting my act together. And so she just went on the stand and she testified and she did a fantastic job. And they ended up getting 32 years uh, each. But unfortunately, something that's really strange is that the money was never fully recovered. They found the $93,000. They total, they found about $100,000 worth of the money, but they didn't find the other $260,000. They believe it's gone forever. There were no marked bills because Michelle wasn't going to do that. Um, but Michelle actually talked about in like a more recent interview about the fact that she's made this incident kind of into a career for herself. She obviously never went back to the house or the bank where this incident occurred, but she does motivational speaking now talking about like what happened to her and how to get through trauma. That's awesome. She wrote a book. She's done TV specials and actually a movie got made about what happened to her, but she's like made this into a career for herself, which is great because she's like turning a really, really awful trap, just the most traumatic experience into something like good for herself and then her daughter is i believe our age now and yeah because she was born in 2000 so her daughter is like 20 years old now and she's obviously both of them had really bad post-traumatic stress disorder after this they were both diagnosed but she's like part of uh activities at school and stuff and she's like trying to make the best of her life she said she tries not to think about it now but occasionally they both still have nightmares about like everything that happened which is like yeah that makes sense because that's the kind of thing that's just never gonna leave you alone you think you're gonna you know you have dynamite strapped to your back and shoved in a closet when you're seven years old that's gonna stick with you but they ended up you know her, her roommate, and her daughter ended up all surviving, and all these people except Lisa Ramirez got put in prison. So, it was a, it's an I survive story that's both tragic and also like, kind of a good thing because you're like at least justice was served, you know. It's not like an awful ending, where the everyone gets away and yeah. everyone dies. Yeah, it's only fitting because last week I did an unsolved serial killer case, to this week I'm doing an I survived where almost everyone gets put in jail, which is what we like to hear. You got to make up for all of the horrible things. And it's still pretty horrible, like thinking your kid's going to die yeah, and all that. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty like in the scale of how bad things can get, it's pretty much almost as bad as it can get. But you know what? She like made the best of her situation, mm-hmm. I think. And like going on trial is always tough because I feel like they, if you're the person who like witnessed everything, what the defense wants to do is just destroy your character and make you seem like trash so it's like not only did she go through this horrible traumatic experience but then she was believed to be part of it and then the defense goes and like rips on her in court for two weeks or however long it's like yeah it sucks that this process you can't it's not one of those things where you just like it happens you get help and then you try to move on and heal it's like a lengthy it took like a year and a half for them to even go on trial yeah it just takes like it takes over your life when something like that happens. Mm-hmm. Like I've known people who are in like small lawsuits and it takes all of their energy. Like they, they don't have time to, to do anything because all of their time is just lawsuit, lawsuit. Yeah, my I was at my chiropractor's on Monday and the receptionist, I'm like sitting there chilling, you know, waiting for my chiropractor. And the receptionist go, just goes, yes. And I was like, what's up? And she's like, I just got the best news ever. I'm like, what is it? And she's like, I've been in this lawsuit for three years about a car accident that happened literally three years ago. And I just got told that I won. So it's finally behind me. She's like, she was telling me, she's like, you know, you think it's bad enough that you already got in a car crash, but then you have to walk around with it for three years. 
hiring lawyers and like spending so much money just to try to like not get sued for everything and then it's like just consumes your life for a certain amount of time but she was like so ecstatic that she was not going to be involved in this lawsuit anymore suing suing is a lot i feel like there's a lot of frivolous lawsuits in our country <laughs> there's there was but... a there was the funniest bro okay so there's this great crime movie called the thin blue line and it's about this guy basically this one journalist did like an expose on this guy who had been wrongly imprisoned to basically try to get him out of prison in the end his movie is the thing that ended up like being able to get this guy out of prison <laughs> but then he gets this guy out of prison the guy gets free and then he turns around and is like you know i think i'm not making enough money off the movie you made about me and he sues him <laughs> He sued him. This happened in the movie or about the real movie? No, this happened like in real life. Like after this movie was made to get this guy out of prison, <laughs> he got released, then turned around and sued the guy who made the movie. That's that's what we call a baller <laughs> move right there. <laughs> that's America for you. Just sue. We're a very suey country. Yeah. It's like when you hear about people that like you can sue people who give you CPR without um your consent. Yeah, in, unless they're a medical professional, yeah. It's just so, like, if you sue someone that gave you CPR and saved your life, like, you are... Unless they're certified, I believe. <sighs> if you're certified, you can give people CPR. That's because, so ridiculous, though. It's like, people, just help people if they're dying. Because it's very easy to do CPR very, very wrongly. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, they're not No, I'm saying it's you. like, if you try to give someone CPR and they die, and you, like, kill them, then, yeah, you should be sued. <laughs> like... But if you give someone CPR and then they survive because of it and then they turn around and sue you, like that is like, just no, I evil. wanted to die. I wanted to die. <sighs> it's just so wrong. But anyway, I think after talking about all these terrible things, it's time to move on to my favorite part of the show. Happy, Happy things. things. <laughs> so, Buker, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? I would like you to go first. All right. I think my happy thing is that I... Oh, gosh, I've done so many great things, but I'm trying to like think of one thing to I'm talk just about. It's so awesome that I just <laughs> Gosh, my life is so great that I. Well, I finished my class on Tuesday and I like turned in my final paper. So that was pretty nice. I'm just like excited that I, you know, made it through the whole class. I'm hoping I get an A. So yeah, I'm just excited for like the start of spring semester, new stuff, and then summer is in like three months. So yeah, I'm just excited for the new semester and all that stuff. Yeah, I uh, lightened up my school schedule, so I'm going How's in. That? I I'm, I I drop stats. A. A. I was not getting an A, so I dropped it. Um, I didn't have enough time for it, so my my school schedule's lighter. I started working at a, an undisclosed Mexican restaurant, and um, things have been going great. I'm working on music videos, trying to wrap them up, put them. I got um nominated for artist of the year for our county so i gotta put up uh, a Yay! reel reel together that's super awesome i have to get that in in like two days so i can <laughs> <laughs> so i don't have time to make a film that i wanted to make before that's well, super awesome though yeah i'm really excited i didn't even know you were nominated for that it's like a huge honor in our county guys it's like if you win it my friend won it last year yeah and it's just like a huge honor because all the schools in our county basically nominate someone and so. and you get your face on the newspaper you do it's crazy 
So everyone over that. the age of 65 will know your face. For a, for a day. For a day. <laughs> you know, I don't read. I read the news online sometimes. I just don't read. Just in general. Never I, read. I have people read, it to me, read things to me. This, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Audible. No. Oh, dude. <laughs> that would have been perfect. That, was, right that would have been a funny transition. Well, maybe one day. Can one you day. imagine? Like, I'll clip back to this if I ever actually get sponsored by Audible. Yo, yo Jeff. Jeff Bezos. Hit, hit us up. <laughs> Horrible things. <laughs> but that's a good one. Yeah, that's super great. That's an honor. But anyway, we have to go to our meeting thing. So I think it's time to end the episode here. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast this week. If you want to find us on a day when it's not a Tuesday, you can go ahead and go to at Horrible Things Podcast on pretty much all social medias. If you want to support us monetarily, you can find us online at patreon.com slash horrible things. Or if you want to support in another way, you can go ahead and leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys so much for listening, though, and just like telling your family and friends about this podcast. It's how it grows. So thank you guys so much for that. It truly, truly means the world to me. But I just want to tell you guys that if you're watching the Oscars, Godspeed. And don't keep your evidence in your car. But most importantly, don't, don't do, do horrible, horrible things. things.